Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hello, O'Toole. Hey, Hollister. Good evening. I shall resign the presidency at noon tomorrow. This is an historic day, the only time a president has ever resigned from office. Nixon knew about the Watergate cover-up. The man who has committed the greatest felony in American history will never stand trial. So it's a lovely day in the neighborhood to talk about <laughs> President Nixon and Elvis Presley. Are you what ready? What a combo. What a combo. Uh, but first, a couple shout outs. For, I want to I shout out India's daughter. We were very excited to hear that they won the Peabody. Yes, the 75th annual Peabody Awards were announced this week. The brutal gang rape of a 23-year-old girl on her way home from a movie triggered an awakening that took many by surprise. And we did a series of interviews with Leslie Udwin, the director of India's Daughter. So for anyone interested, just check out our website, ScreenThoughts.net. Silence has been Definitely a movie that created a movement. Congratulations to the India's Daughter team. Yeah. And it was in great company with other documentaries like What Happened Miss Simone and another documentary that you loved, Listen to Me, Marlon, about oh, Marlon Brando. I know. If you love film, it's a game changer to watch. It makes you think about things a lot differently. And I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. And then I did a review of what, it's not a movie. It's sort of like, is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it Superman? It's not, it wasn't a movie. It wasn't a TV show, but Beyonce's. Visual album. <laughs> the past and the present merge to meet us here. What are you hiding? Lovers as trees. Can't you see me? And what an incredibly powerful performance. What a huge, vulnerable uh, positioning she put, you know, she put herself in. Uh, you know, shout out to her for sure. And I would hope that everybody will take a look at it. I'm sure you've seen bits and pieces of it. It's all over the news and the Internet. Uh, but I did review it on our website at screenthoughts.net, and I hope you'll go and take a look at it. Now, do you want to see it now because of that? Well, I read your review, so I ran to HBO to watch it, and I missed it. It was such a limited release. It was only playing Saturday night. Yeah. You can actually find it on the net. They, there's a couple places. I don't know how. I don't know how. They're, I'm sure they're going to be putting it out, too, uh, shortly, but... Uh, maybe we'll take another look at it. It's well worth the watch, but also just read about it. Even if you don't want to watch the whole thing, you can read about the statements that she's making. It's it's around infidelity and uh, and a marriage, and it's very, very powerful. That Beyonce. I'm going to call her Bay now. Now that I've reviewed her, I'm just going to refer to her as Bay. <sighs> okay. What's she going to call you, Hollister? So me and Bay like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Then. Well, when I ran over to my free 30-day trial on HBO Now trying to find Lemonade, I finally watched that documentary. It came out in 2014 called 112 Weddings. Have you heard about this? No. I don't, is that on HBO? It's on HBO. And I remember reading about it when it first came out. It sounded so interesting. It was made by a documentarian named Doug Block. Over the past 20 years, I've helped support my work as a documentary filmmaker by shooting the weddings of total strangers. As long as you both shall live, I do. It's like being granted a front row view as an ordinary couple experiences the most extraordinary day of their lives. To be sensitive at all times <laughs> to each other's needs. 
<laughs> but I can't help but wonder, do they have any idea what they're getting into? Wow, that's a lot of weddings. Well, it's a lot of weddings. And he said, you know, he always saw these people on such a happy occasion. And over the decades, he started to wonder, I wonder what happened to all these couples. So he decided to track them down and make a documentary about where they are now. So he spliced in the footage he still had from their weddings and showed oh. them today. Hollister, I'm sure you can imagine half of them are now divorced. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. I would say... Well, I don't know why I would want to see this well, film. This is then. what I'm saying. I would say of those who are still together, at best, they were sleep-deprived, and at worst, they looked like POWs. So <laughs> after watching this documentary, to cheer myself up, I, I went over and finally watched The Fault in Our Stars. Oh. Okay. <laughs> because that makes total sense. And I don't really want to talk about this anymore. I know you don't, but just guess which one was more romantic. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, so now we should probably get down to it. So this was a O'Toole choice. Okay, I, I'm, I'm glad you're just clarifying that right out of the gates. I, I think I might have an inkling of where you might come down on this film. Okay. This was your choice to do um, to do Elvis and Nixon or Nixon and Elvis. Who the hell cares who got to have first dibs on that? And the title? The President and the King. The reason I agreed to it is because you know who I love. Kevin Spacey. Yes, I would marry him. I would sleep with him. I would have his child, whatever he wants. But <laughs> I do love him so much, and this is the first time that I can say I don't know what he was thinking. From 12.05 to 105, you have your open hour, at the end of which we thought would be a good time to have your meeting with Mr. Presley. Elvis Presley. Yes, sir. The entertainer. Oh, I know who Elvis Presley is, yes. Who the f*** set this up? Elvis and Nixon. Completely true story. Elvis Presley was concerned about the protests against the Vietnam War, lack of respect for law enforcement. He was far more conservative than a lot of people might have suspected. So he got on a plane, wrote a six-page letter to President Richard Nixon, showed up on the White House gates at six in the morning, asked for this letter to be given to the President of the United States, and then went to a hotel until he was gonna successfully get a meeting with the President. And what he actually wanted was for the President of the United States to make him an undercover federal agent at large. He would also like a badge. A what? Now, what say you first, and then we can get into the nuts and bolts this of it. This is one of those high-concept movies that when I saw the trailer, I actually thought, that is <laughs> such an interesting concept, bringing together these two guys in a real-life meeting that took place in December of 1970. I thought the premise was super interesting. Well, it's also based on a, on a, um, on a photograph that is the most requested photograph at the National Archives, which is shocking when you think about the fact that there are a lot of great pictures in there, like men walking on the moon, and you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to go there. But so the most requested photograph is of uh, Nixon and Elvis. Now, I, you know, that alone says something. That fact goes to show what an interesting concept it is. That there's a built-in audience that wants to know about this meeting. But then do it right. Don't make a mockery of both of them. You swear this isn't a joke because this penmanship is horrible. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you think we should meet with him? Yes, Mr. President. During my nap hour. Everybody loves Elvis. Call me. He could really help us with the youth folk. What in the good God is going on? I don't know, sir. Give a little love. Make sure that we get a picture with Mr. President and me. Go on and do it. You and me, we rose from nothing. But look where I am today. Look where you are. Give a little love. Ha! Go on. Ha!
because the guy who really was behind this was Elvis's really good friend. Jerry Schilling. And I, I read an interview with him where he talks about he was a little uncomfortable about how sort of cheesy and, and crazy they made this guy. And, you know, when you get down to, to some of the real elements of why, for example, Elvis was asking to be, to be a marshal, you know, why he wanted a shield, and that was one of the things he asked Nixon for, I mean, there was some real reasoning behind that. And so I just feel like he sure let his friend down, if nothing more. And secondly, slapstick humor is only funny when you're 10. And I didn't think it was funny. Well, Jerry Schilling, who you reference, he was even Elvis's body double in Elvis's movies. And I'm always stunned that Elvis was in 31 films, the last of which Elvis played a doctor and Mary Tyler Moore played a nun. <laughs> That's got to be as weird a pairing as Elvis and Nixon. You know, this goes right back to, remember how I was outraged for my dear, dear, dear Jane Austen with, you know, um, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies? Yes. That I just didn't think they had the right to take that book and stick on a zombie at the end of every sentence and feel like they get to go at it again. This is the same thing. How dare you denigrate this man who was certainly one of the best musicians to come out of the 20th century and then make him just a mockery. I, I, I just don't understand how you're allowed to do that. And I don't know how the family members who do, I assume, control the Elvis brand. I don't know why they allowed it either. Hollister, this is so interesting that for the real life meeting, Elvis is documented as having worn a purple velvet suit, that gold medallion around his waist and a cape. And you think he was the one mocked in this movie? All right. What do we have on this guy? Well, he's one of the most famous men on the planet. Loves guns, hates the Beatles. The Beatles? Well, I don't like that. Okay, sir, do you have any firearms or weapons of any kind on your person? It's a good thing they didn't catch this little fella in my boot. He collected shields everywhere he went. Police departments gave him shields and things. So asking for a, a marshal's shield was to add to his collection. But secondly, he had a lot of death threats at that time. And he liked to be able to carry uh, a gun because he felt threatened and frightened. And so if he was if he was given this martial shield, then he would be allowed to carry the gun. And that's why he asked for it. It was not because he thought he could be an undercover CIA agent and no one would recognize him. I mean, the absurdity of where they take this is definitely a mockery. Now, if he Although, wears a let's not outfit, let's not forget Noel Coward was a spy. I mean, there are some, you know, people out there who've yeah, but been Elvis quote, Presley unquote, going undercover. in and asking Nixon to be. I mean, that it's absurd. Come on. But it is interesting that he wanted the shield so he could carry a gun internationally. Right. Because his life has been had been threatened so many times, which if you look at the trajectory of Elvis's life and how he ended up becoming a recluse in his own home and not leaving and eating himself into oblivion and then final death. You know, maybe that was because of the fear of all of all of the of the um, the threats that he received. So he there was a legitimate reason for him to ask and for them to take it and make it into I'm going to be a you know spies. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I thought it was interesting that you know the movie opens and you see that Elvis is disquieted by what's going on in the news with the Vietnam War protests and the hippie counterculture. Shoots out his TV at Graceland. Gets on. He was much more conservative, by the way in real life than he let on. Which is interesting. You know, that it brought out some interesting aspects of Elvis. I thought the acting, though, was terrific. Michael Shannon, who was nominated for an Oscar for Revolutionary Road, he played Elvis. Oh, my God. 
it was uh, acting. Uh, he anybody could have played it. That was not a hard thing to do because it's ridiculous. You know, anybody can get up there and be ridiculous. I didn't find him ridiculous. I'll tell you what I liked about the movie. I thought the framing of the shots was great. I thought the acting was great. I thought the concept was terrific. I thought the music was so fun. When the music was playing, I thought it really connected the scenes, it set the tone, but when the music stopped, the plot completely stalled. So the concept well, was not... Well, when you watch Beyonce, when you watch Beyonce... Did you watch Beyonce Lemonade miss, first and then go to Lemonade, you don't talk to me about the music. The music was, you know, was first grade compared to what's coming out in music now. Well, so it, I didn't, it wasn't, this was I not... Think it, I don't think a not film like that... to be a visual album, but the concept was not enough to hang your hat on. So what I thought was really the big, big problem with the movie is that they were too slow to set up this high concept meeting. It took Elvis 45 minutes to get to the White House. I checked my watch. Oh, by the way, by the time he got there, I was like, you need to leave. Uh, I'm yes, so over and it. it took 50 minutes for the two to meet. So I thought, okay, what could have been a really interesting conversation between the two, not unlike the Frost-Nixon movie based on the real-life debates, was completely missing. So you were waiting for the meeting, they met, and the movie was over. There was no dramatic tension. Three, two, cue David. Are you really saying the president can do something illegal? I'm saying that when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. House of Cards, where Kevin Spacey's president on that set, has more dramatic tension in any given episode. Well, the other problem is Nixon was not an idiot, and he was really a very, very brilliant man. And I actually had the honor, I mean, I think it's an honor to meet any president, no matter what he ends up doing, but... Um, I had the honor of meeting Nixon a number of times. I worked for him in his second campaign. Really? Uh, yeah. I was not on the Watergate team that went in, but... <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Let's clarify that up front. Yeah. I was a young Republican way back then. <laughs> and I, were, I, was, I was, you know, pretty high up in the Midwestern section. But at any rate, I did meet him. The guy was not an idiot and they make him out to be almost a caricature. It would have been maybe if this had been done and it had been done not with real people, but it had been done with illustrators, you know, doing characters that way would, I would have found it more palatable, but look, the youth today does not read history. They learn about history from movies and TV and I'm like, please, God, don't let anybody go to this movie. I don't want anybody to see these people this way. And yet I did think it was very interesting that back in 1970, nobody wanted to let Elvis into the White House. When you compare it to today, where it seems like celebrities come and go from the White House and Justin Timberlake is there performing. And, um, you know, it, it definitely seemed like a very well, different time. Well, I think time. whoever, you know, who comes in and out of the White House is very dependent on who the first family is. But the other thing is... If you look at what was happening in 1970, the youth in America was revolting in a huge way against Nixon. They hated him. They were constantly in front of the White House protesting. So bringing one of them in could have been a nightmare for him because the guy could have come in and said something terrible, which then would have been repeated in the press. So their distrust of that entire generation and who they were following made sense. It is a pity, though, that 
Nixon, who went on to record infamously so many other conversations <laughs> and happenings, yeah. that this meeting was not recorded. So it is kind of a pity <laughs> we'll never know what they really said to each other. But I thought mm. some of the actors, Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks's son was in it. His voice sounds just like his father's. He uh, plays. I told you that. Remember, I told you I saw him on Fallon and I thought it was his father younger. It was like amazing. And you know who else was in this? There was a Pulitzer and multi-Tony winner in Elvis and Nixon. Who's that? Tracy Letts. An undercover rock and roller. Sounds ludicrous. I can supply my own firearm. He's the huh. one that won the Pulitzer for August Osage County and wrote the screenplay, oh, okay. the Merrill movie. Yeah. He won the Tony for Best Actor for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Well, good for him. And he's not winning anything for this <laughs> because this is not going to be up for anything. Trust me. Now, guess This who? is going to go down with... oh. Things I wish I never did, things I wish I never saw, and you know, things I wish never happened. It's interesting, though, Hosser. I mean, I'm not offended by the tone of the movie. I just thought that nothing happened in the movie. I'm offended by the entire movie. So I'm assuming you didn't see prior iterations of this. There was a mockumentary made about this meeting already I know, on TV. I know. I saw, I, by the way, there were, a, there were a bunch of things done. I'm surprised I'd never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. But no, I did not go to watch anything else because... I actually saw it yesterday. I didn't see it until yesterday. And I almost called you and then I thought you'd hang up on me. Uh, you know, we don't ever discuss stuff before we talk about it. But I wanted to say to you, boy, do you owe me. I get the next three choices are mine. When I sure. saw the trailer, I thought that actually looks doable and funny. And the minute I sat down in the theater and the music stops and the first scene stalls, I thought Hollister's going to kill me. She's totally yeah, well, going to kill am. me. It's death. So yep. what do you think the yep. thinking I'm going to tape every conversation you and I have here to four. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm maybe having somebody break into your house and, and, and see what's going on in there. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Nixonite on, on all of it. But and here's yet, the, here's and the yet, problem. Hollister, the production house was Bleecker Street, who brought us films that you loved, like Trumbo, Eye in the Sky, Beasts of No Nation. Oh, everybody's entitled to a mistake now and then. I, even I make. Them. Oh, this was Amazon Studios' first big foray into original I know, filmmaking. I know. I'm sorry. After the Cannes Film Festival, they negotiated for weeks and bought the acquisition rights, moving them into theatrical distribution. Amazon did not choose to launch well. <laughs> I mean, it was not a good So you, you prefer yeah. Kevin Spacey as a president with Netflix. Certainly a <laughs> lot more plot in House of Cards. And Elvis and Nixon yeah. just had its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. I know. Well, I, you know, they must have owed somebody something. It's just no way that <laughs> it belongs anywhere. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm usually not this vocal. But I was really offended. I really was. Well, the story behind... I mean, you're offended, you're offended by body parts. I'm offended <laughs> by... I'm offended by taking people from real life and making them into caricatures that don't that don't honor anything about them. Look, you could you could do a film, you know, all the president's men about Nixon and the evil he surrounded himself with and the mistakes that he made and the evil that he himself did, you know, for no reason. He didn't even need to break in. He had already won that election. So I mean, you can do a film around that. I don't think you have to make people better than they are or only show the good parts about them. But I don't think you're allowed to make a mockery of real people. I so don't. I have to ask, did you see the three-hour, 12-minute movie Nixon that Oliver Stone did in 1995? I did, yes. I don't know the real you. There's a cancer on the presidency, and it's growing. 
Did I enjoy it? No, I didn't enjoy it, but I felt it was a point of view and I felt I could see the man in it. Meaning, you know, I may not have agreed with half of what they presented about him. You know, I, by the way, in the end, I think in a hundred years from now, you know, he did some amazing things as president, but, but, but I certainly knew who the guy, you know, what they didn't make a mockery of him, you know, I think it was slanted, you know, in the same way Sorkin slants, but, it, but making a mockery of somebody, when I, when I went, went and read about it, I thought, what, what is with this? So I went and did some, some real reading about it last night. And I just felt like, you know, they should have told the truth. I want to be a U.S. Marshal because I've got a lot of death threats and I want to be able to carry a gun wherever I am. Well, I don't and know if, that if anyone really knows the truth. No one really knows what happened at that meeting. Well, that's or what, what his what friend said. said. That's, who, his friend who was got money from this movie, that's what he said. So The friend um, that helped produce this movie. Um, yeah. but By I, the way, who clearly was, in the interview I read, was clearly, he was a little disquieted. He said there were a few things in there he didn't want in there that were left in there, and he'd asked that they be removed, but you know, he didn't have, clearly didn't have final... Final say. I thought that was very interesting, though, because one of the things he points out was when Elvis says to the president, okay, go ahead, slap my knuckles. I'll slap him. Come on, harder. Harder. Let it out. Let it out. Those are the steel claws of a tiger, Mr. President. And he wanted that taken out. And then he said that friends of Elvis called him when they saw the movie. And they're like, oh, my goodness, that brought back such memories because that is so something he would have done. Well, it was actually, I believe, his sister who said that they did that at home. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that doesn't mean he would have done it in the White House with the president of the United States. You know, but it is something it, he would have done where Jerry Schilling said he never would have done that. And then there was someone who well, knew no, him well. He never would have done it in that context, perhaps. He would never have gone into the White House and done that. And you know, yet you he do said in the, you know, they I, had just other, like, I, you know, they had other big meetings where Elvis did ask him to demo his karate kicks. So he said he didn't do it there in the White House, but he did do it in other places where you and I would not well, exactly, be demoing karate Exactly, because there are things kicks. you would do. There are things you'll do in other places that you wouldn't do if you were in the White House. And Nixon was not an idiot, and I don't think he went in there like an idiot. I just don't. There were three writers on the script. One I didn't of them, look them up because I was too angry at them. <laughs> well, here's a clue. One of them is so famous for a movie which co-stars Kevin Spacey's wife, the first lady, Robin Wright, from House of Cards. Well, I don't know. Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. Oh, okay. And the other two writers both have cameos in the film. One plays one of the secretaries. The other plays one of the Elvis impersonators, who he bumps into at the airport. Um, <laughs> yes, and you know... Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not used to seeing writers wanting to make cameos in the stuff they write. I don't know. Call me crazy. And yet, Colm Tabin did it in Brooklyn. John le Carey did it in The Night Manager. Uh, and Sorkin did it in the last episode of The West Wing. And he did start out an actor. I take it all back. <laughs> if Sorkin can do it in the last episode of The West Wing, which he didn't even write, then, you know, he's he's sitting in the audience and they pan to him when um, when Sandoz is getting sworn in. 
then I, I, okay, I take it back. They can do that. I just don't like this movie. I don't like anything about it, and I refuse to say anything nice. So there you go. <laughs> well, this is just a piece of trivia, but I thought this was super interesting. I can actually link Elvis to another president, so we don't have to talk about Nixon. We can talk about FDR. There is a ship that you can now visit outside of Oakland, and it was FDR's floating White House. It was FDR's presidential yacht, and he entertained world leaders on this ship, people like Queen Elizabeth II. It was not a ship. It wasn't that big. Wasn't it something that went up and down the Potomac? Well, it's called the USS Potomac. It's a yacht. Yeah, it wasn't a ship. You know, a ship is like like a ship. It was, I think it was a boat. You know, it was a yacht. Okay, the presidential yacht. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen many pictures of it. A lot of cool things happened on it. After FDR died... Elvis bought it. So Elvis owned the floating White House, and ironically, the Coast Guard sank it because it fell into the hands of drug runners. So it was just there off the coast of Oakland, rotting. And I thought, well, maybe Elvis had a point wanting to go undercover and work for the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Okay, that's the most interesting thing about this podcast. (laughs) One other thing that I had to look up, they say in this movie that the person who convinced Nixon to actually meet with Elvis was his daughter, Julie. She was 22. She was already married to David Eisenhower, the grandson of Dwight Eisenhower, and Nixon had been his vice president. It was a little bit like that boy and cat girl. Uh, Well, you know, I think they thought the next generation was, was going to take over. And then, of course, when he, you know, resigned in disgrace... It sort of changed David Eisenhower's trajectory in politics. He sort of knew that it would have to skip a generation. He wouldn't be able to run. And so he wrote an amazing biography of his grandfather. Now, I never knew that David Eisenhower is the one Camp David is named after. I actually knew that. I don't know. I think I knew that from Sorkin. Okay, now here's a really weird bit of trivia. Do you know who was the best man at their wedding? So Julie Nixon and David Eisenhower, grandson of Ike. Um, Well, I remember their wedding very well. We followed it the way Princess Di's wedding was followed. For Um, a minute there, I thought you were going to tell me you were at it. No, no. Um... I don't remember, but I remember it wasn't it another politician's son. Well, it's a guy that went on to become a four-term U.S. rep, Fred Grandy, better known uh, as no. Gopher know. from the Love Boat. Oh, okay, <laughs> I like Gopher from the Love Boat. The Love Boat. <laughs> See what I mean? Real life can be weirder than fiction. <laughs> okay, and my last bit of trivia for you. Okay, Elvis was in thirty-one movies. When I went to his IMDb page, I was kind of stunned because there was actually a link for awards. And I thought, what award did Elvis win in connection with his screen work? I've been in 31 major motion pictures. That makes me an expert in costume and disguise. He won two. It must be best song or something. Was it best <laughs> okay, song? well, I didn't really look at the music. So there's, it's quite possible there's music awards. In 1960 and 1966, he won the Golden Apple Award, the Sour Apple, for being the least cooperative actor, awarded to him by the Hollywood Women's Press Club. Okay. Um, all right. On that note, I owe tool, you owe me. You won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. So you're going to pick whatever we're doing next week. You bet your bottom. Not next week, the week after, the week after that, until I feel better about what you've done to me. This is Nixon's finish. You're going to impeach me. 